Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. If the whole world could see your emails and your browsing habits or record something that you said 10, 12 years ago, how many of you would be embarrassed of that if we were to play it right now? Ouch. Yeah, so like Kent, we have a recording of you that we just got our hands on this week. I mean, I had no idea that you were like a, like when did you become a cocaine smuggler? I mean, a meth addict, and, and here you are on the front row of the church every week. Who knew? But don't we all have some junk that we wouldn't want to be exposed out there? Could I just ask you as a church, don't take the bait on social media to just go bat crazy on this. At, the some, at some point, I, I really do believe the scripture is so clear to us on this, that we are to pray for our leaders. And if we want the heart of our leaders to change, you can do so by a vote, but you can do far more on your knees. And I wanna encourage you to take that role this week. Take that role and take it seriously as you move forward. All right, let's talk a little bit. We're going to talk today about Acts 29. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and find the book, the book of Acts and find the 29th chapter. And when you get there, we're going to start in verse 1. There's some lessons we learn the hard way. There's some lessons we learn the easy way. There's some lessons we learn the fun way. But inevitably, we are always learning something. As a matter of fact, I'm confident that if you have surrendered your willingness to learn, you have most definitely surrendered your right to lead. Now, how many of you have found Acts 29? That doesn't exist, does it? Yeah, I know. And some of you thinking, crud, I have been found out. I haven't been reading the book of Acts every morning and you didn't memorize it. I had a dude at 9.30, he's about halfway in the middle of the segment, and I said, how many of you found Acts 29? He's like, yep. <laughs> Naturally, I was sweet and cautious and careful with him, and I didn't want to hurt his feelings. So I said, dude, you're kidding me. You're right? And I didn't, really, kind of. You remember when cartoons used to come on, and the only time you could watch cartoons were Saturday morning? You remember that? Yeah, I mean, now you can watch cartoons all the time. If you're on Fox, you can watch them all Sunday night, uh, although those are gross. <laughs> like, anyway, so I used to love cartoons. My problem was my dad, he would wake me up early on Saturday morning, and for years, my dad would ask me the same question. He'd say, boy, you want to be stronger? Yeah, dad, good. And he would hand me those handheld clippers before we had weed eaters. And my job was to go around the house first and then to go around the outside of the church with the clippers. And so I was always that kid that didn't get to see all of the, of, of the cartoons that I wanted to. You know, I think my dad felt like when we watched the Flintstones in primetime, it was good. The very first superhero that I ever knew of was Fred Flintstone. And, and my dad thought he was incredibly bright. And so you can tell what went wrong here. But uh, cartoons are funny. Like, how many of you watch Scooby-Doo? Scooby-Doo? Yeah. All right, sing it with me. Scooby-Dooby-Doo. <sighs> Degenerative nation. Um, but aren't there learnings? Like, like think of okay, when that mirror is doing creepy things, don't go to it. When you hear sounds walking into the house, don't go in. 
right? I mean, you know, you, you get it? So if Scooby's freaked out, stay with the dog. All kind of lessons. But we learn from some of the most unique things. And I think as Jesus taught through the Gospels, Jesus taught some rather amazing things. Like, hey, fellas, here's a field. Let's talk about wheat. Hey, guys, here's a fig tree. Let's talk about fruit. Here's water. Here's fish. And all these times, he's teaching us. Now, how does that apply to Acts 29? Well, I believe the book of the Acts in chapter 28 ends so abruptly that it begs the question, how are you going to finish the book of Acts? Now, I'm not trying to be extra biblical here. I'm not trying to be unbiblical here. What I'm trying to say is, I believe when Luke penned his gospel and penned the book of Acts, I believe he left Acts open-ended by saying, now you go do your thing as God has instructed through these words. So when we start at chapter one in the book of Acts and we work our way through the 28th chapter of Acts, I believe when we get to that abrupt end that the Lord inspired Luke to be able to leave this in such a way that he would say, what are you going to do in 2016 as you write your chapter in the book of Acts? But now it's a little more specific than that. It is not just about what the church will be, but it is what you will be. Because part Part of what we know, not only from the book of Acts, but from the gospel writings, is we know that the church is not this facility. The church is not this air conditioning unit. The church is not who does the lights. The church is you. You are the church. And so the lesson to be learned here is greater than something from Scooby-Doo. It's greater than something from the Flintstones, but I do, do believe we find it in God's creation. And so when you look at the book of Acts and begin to understand that, I think it's important for us to recognize that God has called us to specifically lead in a certain way. And I believe that is this, geese hang out on purpose. You never see a group of geese and they're just hanging around doing like nothing. They're, they're doing something together. I, I used to work in an office building and, the, and behind me was a lake and it had this kind of walking, jogging path around the lake. It was really pretty. But at the right part of the year, there were some really mean geese that hung out there all the time. And you know, if you get too close to a goose, they will attack you. Have you known that? I have had a goose chase me. It's why I carry a weapon now. No more geese running. I'll shoot that geese. I promise they're going down. But have you noticed what else they leave on the sidewalk? Yeah, yeah, they have their own sense of emissions and they leave that for us. And, and, and it's gross. I mean, it's, it's just gross. And you watch these geese and you know, okay, fellas, isn't it time to go south? Don't you need to move? Don't you need to go? And have you ever noticed that the geese fly in a V. Have you ever found that? They leave the north, <clears throat> they head to the south, and they fly in a V. And have you ever noticed that one or one of those two sides of the V is longer than the other? Science has been studying this for years. And there's a reason why that, that typically the right-hand side of the V has, it's longer. Blake, do you know why that is? Because there's more geese on that side. And so... Some of y'all about two o'clock are going to go, oh, that was funny. Yeah, yeah. And all you nice people are going to say, poor Blake. Don't feel poor about Blake. No, he's, he's easy to pick on, right? But they fly in his feet. And you know what I found? They fly with purpose. Now, here's what I want you to know. 
Flying with purpose, guys, you put the slide back up. Flying with purpose is the concept of fellowship. Now, we hear the term of fellowship in the sense of fellowship hall. We hear it in the sense of fellowship when we gather together and, and we eat together. And, and, you know, all of that is true, but fellowship in its, dear, in its most simplistic form sounds like this, to have something in common, to have something to share, to participate in a common cause. Now, what do we learn from these geese? Now, leave that up there for a minute, guys. To have something in common. What is it that the church has in common as we write the 29th chapter of Acts? There are some things that we have in common. And in those things, we need to define them really well because we then can share those things and then we can participate in a common cause. And that common cause will trump every single thing that happens around it. And the common cause of the church of the Lord Jesus is him. The purpose of why we gather the purpose of why we go, the purpose of why we have a team in Haiti now, the purpose for which our friends from Care for AIDS are here today is all about the concept of there is a common ground in which we must live and love and lead together, and that is the power and the presence of Jesus and him alone. Because when he is the central figure of the church, the 29th chapter of Acts makes perfect sense in that we are living his way, not ours. That the church is moving closer to him, not toward the world. That the church is serving as Jesus described and not going its own way. And so the 29th chapter is giving us an opportunity to write that chapter. For what purpose? To ensure that we have fellowship among the body. Now, let's just stop and, and talk about a challenge. When we talk about having fellowship within the body, we do not always have unity in the body. You see, the scriptures tell us that we're to strive for unity. But what I've discovered is that wherever you have diverse thought, then you will have right behind it conflict. And wherever you have conflict, you have an opportunity to deal with it in a Christ-like fashion or avoid it or deal with it in an unchrist-like fashion. And the church is constantly in some measure of conflict. And why do we know that to be true? Because we have diverse thought in this room. And God didn't make a mistake when he made us to think diversely, but that's why he got it down to such a unique and common cause when Jesus said, all the prophets, all the laws of the prophets hang on these two things. Love God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and love others as you love yourself. And he said, everything else that falls underneath that, these things trump it all. And so these geese who are in fellowship together, they get in that V and they're flying together. Now watch this. Did you know that scientists have studied these geese and that when they fly in a V formation, they go 71% further than any one goose can go on their own. Now think about that. So if you just kind of put that in perspective, a Sugar Hill Church, if you just want to go off and do your own thing, you know, that's one of the great things, knock yourself out. Isn't that wonderful? The problem is the rest of the folks who've chosen to cooperate in fellowship are going to blow by you. I grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida, back in the day when you could go to the races for five bucks, right? And so, man, I, I loved it. Back, man, back in the day, man, they really were. That's some cool stuff. NASCAR now, I mean, Russell, you got to admit, it's a little sissified now. But I mean, back in the day, it was brutal. Like, I mean, they drove like real cars, you know, and like real headlights and stuff. I remember going there. You know what you see every year? You see it every year now. 
two and a half mile trioval, 200 miles an hour, headed down the back stretch, and some dude running six, typically like in a Toyota. I mean, he, he punches it and put, nothing wrong with Toyotas, just y'all are welcome to him, not me. But he punches it, heads over into the middle lane, and he punches it. He thinks, I've got the car to beat, and he goes all the way to the back of the pack in one lap. Why? Nobody behind him to push the air up against him. Nobody in front of him to push the air out of his way. So he doesn't have to use near the horsepower to run together, which means he can run faster and further together than he can alone. Same thing with the geese. When they fly together in that V formation, science has proven there's an uplift and a drafting that takes place that allows them to go 71% further. Now think about this. What if your, what if your family could be 71% further toward God that God wants you to be? What if your church could be 71% further than all that God could have ever imagined? What if, what if you could in your work or in your finances or with your children fly 71% further by simply saying, I want to be in fellowship, I want to be in cooperation, and I want us to be grounded to something that matters more than my preference or my orthodoxy? What if being grounded in the presence of being able to say, you know what, as a church, we want to make a very big deal about the Bible. Now, you have one of two choices. You can hear that and say, well, that's just a trite statement, Chuck. I mean, the Bible's more than a big deal. It is the living, breathing Word of God. I agree. But Chuck, it, it was absolutely spoken through the Spirit of God. And it was inspired to the hand of godly men. And they wrote it. And even today, it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And it can cut through marrow, marrow and bone. I'm with you. That is precisely why we ought to make the Bible a very big deal. Because what we do, how we do it, ought to be able to be in that book. And if it's not, don't do it. But that's also why we believe that Jesus is the single greatest deal. You can say, well, Chuck, he's so much more than that. Of course he is. He is the son of God who came to take away the sins in the world. He came to seek that which was lost. He came to shed his blood that we might have forgiveness of our sin, buried in a borrowed tomb that he may raise from it and go to sit by the right hand of the Father in heaven that we might have life in heaven. Of course, it's more than just Jesus is a big deal. You know what? It is the only deal. It is the only thing that matters. The only thing we offer this community or you offer your family is the presence and the power of Jesus that can and should reside within you. So when we go feed hungry kids in Haiti, you know what we're doing? This is what Jesus would do. When we pack those backpacks, this is what Jesus would do. When we go to the high school and we minister to a young teen, a mom who had not ready, made a mistake, let's, what would Jesus do? You say, okay, I'm, I'm good with that, Chuck. But then the third one's where all of a sudden the, the, the rubber hits the road. Because if I believe those two, then I'm going to serve people in need around me, both here and around the world. And by the way, I'm going to help people, especially people that don't look like me, agree like me, act like me, or love like me. You say, okay, you've drawn the line now, Chuck. You've drawn the line. I think we do that anyway. Well, let me ask you a question. Why aren't there more black people in this church? Y'all got quiet on that one. See, if you go down to, the, down to Lanier High School... 40 plus percent of the children in that high school are African-American kids. This church ought to look like our school. Well, Chuck, you know, it's just different. No, it's not. Not if, not if the Bible's a big deal and Jesus is the biggest deal and you serve people in need both here and around the world. Why? Just get on board with this. 
You say, well, Chuck, I don't want to be a part of a church that does that. Well, there's a door there and there and there, and there's plenty of bigoted churches around. Pick one. Because I'm telling you, we ought, to look like our, we ought to look like our community. We ought to love like our community. We ought to serve like our community. These geese, I, we go 71% further for the cause of Christ if we just came together, if we just decided with purpose we're going to live in, in fellowship. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty great to me. But you know what I've noticed about geese? They do it. God gave them the ability to do this. They don't have to think about it. They don't have to structure it. They don't have to have worship at 11 to tell them to do this together. What good grief. They're doing this without a Chris Tomlin song. How in the world can you do that? It's intuitive them. But you see, I think all through the book of Acts and the Imitation, I believe the gospel writer Luke is saying to us, this should be the natural DNA of the modern church as you write the 29th chapter because you ought to do fellowship for the right purpose in the kingdom of God. Listen to what 1 John 1, 6 and 7 says. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now watch this. Leave it up there, guys. If we say that we have fellowship with Christ Jesus and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. Now watch this. Why is it such a big deal that we walk in the lightness and lightness of Jesus so we don't stay in the dark and stumble and lie? So if you're in a situation where in your home you need more truth, choose to walk in the light and likeness of Jesus and come out of the darkness so that it becomes a natural part of the DNA that you fly together, that fellowship becomes sweet, that fellowship becomes fun. I mean, you know, it is amazing. You see the best and you see the worst of families when you do a funeral. I mean, really, it's like they're all trying to hide like Uncle Ernie from some other state and they start giving you warnings. Now, when Ernie shows up, just know we haven't seen him in years. Yeah, do you all have one of those? Yeah, we, I mean, we've all got them, you know, but I'm telling you, when Uncle Ernie walks in the room, we all know. I, fellowship isn't when we try to hide the weirdness of who we are. Fellowship is when we embrace it. Fellowship is that we've come together for a common purpose, a common good. We've come together for the Christ. We've come together for his kingdom, not ours. We haven't come together for the purpose of growing a big church. We haven't come together for the purpose of saying we were cooler or better than some other church. Listen, the easiest thing to do in our humanity is measure us against Gwinnett Church or 12 Stone or First United Methodist or somebody else. But listen, God didn't give them our marching orders. He gave them to us. He gave it clear. Make the Bible the central point. This is how you do it. Put Jesus at the center of all you do. This is how you do it. Go love and serve people, especially when they're different. Why? Because then you can walk in the light, not in the darkness. Then you can walk in truth, not in a lie. I mean, doesn't that sound incredibly just practical? Doesn't it sound like practical church 101 that we come together? But now geese, they also, they naturally work together. Geese know how to work together. They illustrate the concept of sharing 
the workload. Now watch this, guys. My granny used to say this all the time, and she had that kind of sweet little crackled southern old lady voice, you know what I'm talking about? And she would say this, Chucky, many, many hands make light the work. She was so wrong. Many hands don't make the light work. They just make it more confusing. Wherever you got two or more gathered together, you got problems. Because we, we all like to do it our way. We like to have things our way. We, we like to sing our way. We like to preach our way. We like to set the room up our way. We like the student ministry to be our way. We like the kids ministry to be our way. But what if our way was to say, let's make sure that we are not less than biblical. Let's make sure we are not extra biblical. Let's make sure that nothing's more important than Jesus. And let's make sure we act like him when we serve people. And if we'll stay there, all the rest of this junk will take care of itself. But that's why it's such a big deal that we work together. Now watch this. By and large, we could all go down to Haiti next week and we could fix up those orphanages and deliver more food and we could feed more kids. And we'd come back having a kumbaya moment, man. It'd be good. Look at us. We'd wear our love Haiti t-shirts, you know. We'd share testimony. And then we'd take the same group of people and put them around a boardroom and say, how are we going to spend a million dollars for the cause of Christ? And we'd fight like cats and dogs. Because, see, working together is easy. Thinking together is a whole other thing. I mean, even in this room right now, there are people saying, Chuck, I didn't come here to hear a story about geese. Sorry. Well, Chuck, I, I didn't come here to hear you scream and yell. Okay. Let me ask this. Did you come to hear a word from God or did you come to criticize how you weren't hearing a word from God? You see, these geese have a lot to teach. You ever heard of the Pareto Principle? You ever heard of that? The Pareto Principle is the 80-20 rule. Like 80% of the people, like 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You know, that's not true. Like in Churchville, that's so not true. It's like 10% of the people do everything. And 90% of the people, they show up and say, yeah, that's good, I was entertained, cool, see you next week. Did you know that like when it comes to giving, like on a typical Sunday morning, we might have like seven or 800 family groups that are represented here, you know? And that's just like a unit. So like your family of four, that's one. You know, family of two, that's one. Do you know that less than 240 of those units give zippity doodah, if anything, to the church? You know what that tells me? There's like 500 family units that show up here every week. They do nothing. And I think most of them, they don't because they know, you know, I don't have 10%. I can't give 10%. But you have missed the point of the new covenant if that's the case. Everything Jesus teaches, including about money, is always about a matter of our heart. So Jesus thought so much of that when he saw that widow and her might with all of the wealthy people. See, it used to be when you do offerings in Jesus' day, you had these big cisterns across the front of the temple and you would bring your offering and you would drop them in there. And often when you dropped it in there, if you were a big giver, you'd hear the bong, you know, across the temple. You know what people do? Whoa, that dude now, he gave. But Jesus sees this widow with her might, and she drops it, and you can't hear a sound. And he, he thinks so much of it, he calls his disciples over and says, hey, guys, look at that. Now, that lady, she knows how to give. Listen, I, I mean this with all my heart. If a dime for you to give today, if a dime is a sacrifice, it is more honoring to the Lord than if you write a 1,000 and it costs you nothing. That's the beauty of God's economy. He's all about your heart. 
Because when your heart's right, your actions will be right. You see, these geese, they work together by their nature. Now, what would happen if this geese are leaving Canada and they're headed like toward, toward the Everglades? And about halfway through, one of these geese is like, I'm tired. I gotta have a potty break. We're just gonna pull off here in Cincinnati and hang out a while. They're gonna pull up in Cincinnati. I mean, this is comfortable. This fall here in Cincinnati ain't bad. And then the snow starts falling. And you know what they become? Dinner. Because you gotta keep going. You know what I found in, in Christian circles? What happens is when we share the load with other people, we find out how weird people are. Because folks, look, just look around. Y'all are so weird. You mean, you mean how to tell you how weird you are? You hired me. I mean, like, how much more weird can you be? And those geese, they don't care, though, because, see, when one goose gets tired and he falls off the pack, you know what they naturally do? Four or five of them will leave the big pack, go create a new V, and let him follow behind them because they know that together they're always better. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is always better together. Not when we're casting stones at somebody else. Not when we're finding fault with everything in the world, but when we're loving people with the message of, of Jesus, his power and his likeness and his joy and his grace. Matthew 28 in the 18th verse gives us the most clear identifying challenge that we are to be his church. Listen to what the scripture says. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Let's put a period there. Jesus says, I, I've got everything you could ever need. I, I'm running. I'm in charge of the show. I got it. Therefore, since I've got all that power, go and make disciples of all the nations. Share Jesus. That's what he's saying. Literally, the text is, as you're going. It's not like, hey, come for visitation night. It's like, as you're going to work, as you're going to the ball field, as you're going to Publix, whatever it is, this is what, as you're going... Make disciples of all the nations. Don't say, well, I, I'm not a disciple. Chuck, well, if you said yes to Jesus and you've chosen to follow him, you are most definitely a disciple. You may not act like it, but you are. But it doesn't stop there. It says then go baptize them. And you see, baptism, watch this now. Baptism is not a requisite to go to heaven. Baptism is an outward picture that I am obeying my Lord because if he was baptized, I should be. If he commanded me to, I should be. If I can be his, if I can be his witness and his testimony by doing so, then I do. And that's why that many people get baptized. 100 plus people or so around here a year, baptized every year. But then it goes on, baptize them how? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, Jesus did not make this real complicated. He said this, okay, church, this is your Acts 29 mission. Go make it possible and share by faith what Jesus means to you so that others become disciples. And when you do, baptize them by picturing Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection. And this is an outward sign that they have made an inward change to live for Christ. And when you've done that, teach them all this stuff that I've taught you, including how to love, how to lead, how to forgive, how to sacrifice, how to fly together, how to be together, and teach these things so that they can obey all these commandments. 
And why should you do this? Oh, oh, oh. Let me take you to the first. I can hear Jesus saying, let me take you back to the first part of the statement. And be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Over, over in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul gives us this reminder that we are one body, the church. We have a lot of different parts. And some of our parts are just really funky, aren't they? I mean, we got parts of the church that's just like, okay, man, I don't get it. But we, when we are in a common ground of trying to make sure we're living and breathing and, and struggling and flying together, it is so amazing. This is why the Bible is such a big deal. This is why Jesus is the only thing that matters. And serving people in need is how we look more like him. That's why we say this week after week after week. But guess what? Geese know what it takes to get where they're going. Geese know what it takes. I mean, they illustrate the concept of encouragement. These same scientists that decided they could fly 71% further are the same scientists that determined what geese are saying to each other while they're flying. Now, what does a geese say when they're flying? Go ahead, say it. That is possibly the worst honk of all time. So, at the meet and greet at the last hour, this young dude walks up to me and pulls out of his pocket a goose call. He said, do you want to use it? I said, well, does it sound like a goose? So he put it up to his mouth and he did his little goose call thing. The only thing going through my mind at the time was, do you come to church with a goose call all the time? Because if you have a weapon, we need to get you out of here. Seriously, that cannot, who woke up on Sunday morning and said, you know what Chuck needs? A goose call. <laughs> How about that? Seriously, these scientists have figured that these geese have found what it takes to get from where they are to where God wants them to be, and it's called a honk. Try it with me. Honk. Go ahead. Put three together. Honk, honk, honk. Go for four. Come on. <laughs> Seriously? That's funny. I don't even know where it came from, but that's funny right there. People watching online are saying, what? What? Dude with the call. Oh, my star. It... I, let me preach some more. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know what that last text is saying? Don't let your heart get so hardened because of the deceitfulness of sin, because when you do, all of a sudden, you're going to become a natural born cynic. And you can't live in hope and be a natural born cynic your whole life. So we need a little honking going on around here instead of some more deceit and cynicism. What we need is a little more honking around here instead of more criticism. What we need around here is a little more honking instead of some gossip. What we need is for men and women who have trusted Jesus and are walking and flying and going 71% further instead of getting exhausted here, everybody around them give them a good round of honk. See what I mean? Doesn't it make you feel better? Seriously. 
I used this illustration years ago preaching in an evangelism conference somewhere out west. And I don't know who figured out because I had to preach three times in two days. So the second day I, did, I gave this example in the middle. Next day I'm up and seriously, nobody ever said amen. Nobody said a word. All I ever heard was honk. So like all through, I'd say something like, don't you believe Jesus came and died for you, honk? And I thought, man, I don't think Georgians would do that. And I want to go home. Far too often, though, the noise that we hear behind us is a, is a noise of discouragement and gossip and criticism. I don't know about you, man, but I don't want to join a family filled with gossip and anger and pettiness. I don't want to join a family that's critical. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to honk. I mean, don't you? Don't you want to get together with other people and just honk your guts out? It's like, man, look what Jesus is doing. Honk! Look at all those folks getting baptized. Honk! Look at what all the Lord's doing in our schools. Honk! Over there in our kids' ministry night, kids today, kids getting saved in classes. Honk! How do you not honk? You know what I'd say? Crank a honk up around here. We need to make this happen. I believe that the book of Acts said we better be a church full of honkers. That may not have come out the way I wanted it to. This is when you say oopsies. By the way, while we're on oopsies. So the other day, all the girls are at home. Now, when you've got girls all home and grandbabies and everything else, I'm telling you, it is, it's a 30-minute it's a sitcom. And, and the television was on because somebody was going to show us a YouTube video or something. I don't know what it is. And that Geico commercial came on where the kids are in the above-ground swimming pool saying Marco Polo. You know, you will play, right? But, you know, Marco Polo's in the pool. You know what you're talking about? And Samantha says, ha, all these years I thought they were two people, Marco and Polo. And me and Jenny are like, you are a freshman in college. Sometimes you need to know what honk means, right? It's not just Marco and Polo, it's Marco Polo. Honk. Acts chapter 4, verse 36 says this, and, and Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who is also called Barnabas by the apostle, which translated means he's the son of encouragement. We need a little more encouragement, a little more Barnabas, because I got to tell you, this life will suck the life out of you. And this is why the church is here to carry one another's burdens. You see, geese know how to share the load. They know how to carry each other's burdens. They, they're not always there when things are good. They're there when things are hard. You know, I, I was having a conversation with another pastor this week, and I mean, he, he, it bless his heart. He's just in one of those churches where it's just dead as a hammer. I mean, you know, nobody wants to do anything, and, you know, they're, they're, and we're still going to do it the way we did it in 1962, and it, poor guy, just so discouraged. And I said, man, I got to tell you, if you— could I give you just one piece of advice? Start sharing other people's burdens and see what God might do. Stop trying to change stuff. Stop trying to be cool. Stop trying to be hip. Stop trying to be who you're not. You, you, you just go love people and you go help care, people carry burdens and I'll promise you God will do all the rest. He said, man, it doesn't sound like much of a church growth strategy. It's not. It's the worst possible way I know to grow a church. But it's the best possible way I know to live like Jesus. Go carry somebody's burden. See, what are you doing in your own walk and in your own life. You know, one other thing about these geese before we're done is when that lead goose is getting shot at or is exhausted, 
The rest of those geese don't say, well, I knew he couldn't make it. I knew this would eventually happen. I knew he'd flame out. What they do is say, hey, man, you get behind me, and I'm going to lead for a while. Take a breath. And then they go back to honking. Some of you here today, and you're saying, Chuck, I'd like to be a family, family member or something like that. Chuck, I'd like to be a part of something like that. You know how simple it is? The Bible says just call on the name of the Lord. You say, Chuck, I have no idea what that means. You know, when you call on the name of the Lord, it sounds kind of like this. Jesus, I need you. Man, I made a mess of my life. I'm sorry. Come live in me. I want to I turn my life around. I want to live for you. I'm tired of living for me. I made a mess. I, Thanks, Jesus. You died for me. And you were buried. And three days later, you rose from the dead for me. And I don't even understand how you did it, but you went back to heaven and now you're sitting beside God the Father, and you promise I can have a home there if I'll call on your name. You know what? That is worthy of a good honk. So today, if that's the desire of your heart, just pray it. Jesus, that's what I want in my life. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We're grateful for you. I pray we'd honk a lot this week. Lord, I pray we'd learn to carry one another's burdens to encourage one another I pray our purpose would never be less than or more than you and you alone God I pray that when we're out in the world the people will know us by how we love one another and we could never love one another more than you already love us so Father God find us guilty of being a people in love with you with your word and with folks that are different than us, and that we might choose to be an encouragement, that we might honk a lot for folks that are struggling and in need, for folks that are serving and tired, for our families, for our children, for our grandbabies, for our church. So Lord, we trust you in this time to do all that you can do, and we praise you for those who today have chosen to follow you as Savior and as King. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and all God's children said, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.